Good morning, everyone. I want to read to you from the Gospel of Mark. Hear the word of the Lord. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, well, the most important one is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself or as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Pray for me as I pray for you. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord, this sacred space, this moment that we have to enter into your presence and to hear from you. And Lord, I pray now that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would use these words and my thoughts. Let them be vehicles, Lord, of your truth. I pray, Lord, that the hearts of the people receiving them would be fertile ground. Holy Spirit, I know that you've already started preparing them for this moment, preparing them, Lord, for this time that we have to gather you for your words. So, Lord, would you speak clearly, for your people are listening. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. Um, this morning, I want to share about something that's a little different than what we've been talking about. We've been talking about discovering your purpose, and we've been going through the narrative of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Well, this morning, I'm kind of like pausing from that, because I wanted to share with you a passage that struck me recently. Um, I came across this. I, one of the things that I do, I have daily silence and solitude, and then I have daily reading and daily prayer. And uh, what I do for my daily reading is I have a one-year Bible, Okay. Uh, because I found that reading the Bible can be tough. And so the one-year Bible makes it easy because every, like, day is divided up, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and Proverb, and all I have to do is open up to day, whatever the date is, and just read it. And so um, as I was reading my one-year Bible, right, this passage was chosen uh, just a few days ago, and it just, it struck me. There was something about it that drew me in, and as I started exploring um, that curiosity, uh, I found that there's something here that I feel like has to be shared here at ENC. And so we're going to pause from Joseph, and we're going to talk about this passage in Mark. Um, but before I kind of get into that, um, if I, I don't normally title sermons, but if I were to title this one, I would call it, uh, What is the Bottom Line? That would be the title of my talk. The bottom line is an interesting phrase for me. Um, I've been married now for, it'll be nine years this June, my wife Sarah and I. She's awesome. Uh, she's not even like my better half. She's like my better 75%, um, way beyond. She's just incredible. Um, well, when we got married, uh, it was challenging at first because we're two very, very different people, okay? Um, you guys, I've already told you about the whole like organization thing, right? Like I'm not organized. I don't even care about what I wear. You guys know about the home clothes and the bed clothes. You guys know about like that structure, um, well, uh, one of the other things that I found that we were very different in was our communication styles. 
And so for me, I like to talk, okay? And that makes sense because I'm called to preach, I'm called to share, I'm called to teach. I like to talk. My wife, she doesn't like to talk, right? She's more of like that introvert, quiet person. Like she has a million. See, most people think that introverts don't have thoughts going through their mind, but introverts have like millions of thoughts going through their mind. They just choose not to say it. Or they choose to say it when they want to, um, if they feel that you're deemed worthy to hear their very important thought. Um, So when I'm talking with my wife, I'll be like, okay, honey, I got to tell you something, right? And what I would do is paint this elaborate picture, right? I would describe like this and that and all of this. And literally by the time I'm like talking, we're like 15 minutes in the conversation and my wife is like barely staying awake, right? Um, And I was like, okay, I don't know how I feel about this. But this kind of continued for a while. And then stuff started to kind of change because in the middle of my painting the picture, my wife would be like, okay, JD, time out. What's the bottom line? And I would be like, well, how dare you interrupt my painting of the picture? I'm getting to the bottom line. And over these nine years, I've had to learn and change the way that I communicate with her because what she really wants to know is, okay, I see the picture and I get all that you're talking about, but what's the bottom line? What are you actually trying to say? And so now what I do, I kid you not, okay, because I have all these stories about you guys and ENC and all the wonderful things we do. And I go, okay, honey, I'm going to tell you a story, but here's the bottom line. And I tell her first, and then I tell her the story, and it's made our marriage much, much happier. (laughs) But what's the bottom line? That question, right? When you are surrounded with so much information, when you are given a picture, when you are given an overwhelming amount of things to process, what is the bottom line? See, I feel like many times that the Christian life is like that. That there's so much that we have to do. Oh, but then there's a lot of stuff that we don't have to do. Or wait, we're supposed to do this, but we're not supposed to do this. Oh, wait, maybe we're living into that. Well, maybe now the church is supposed to live into that. Oh, and then there's all these different denominations. There's so much information that we wrestle with. And the question is, what, what's the bottom line? When, when is the church ever going to get done with painting this picture? And when are we going to know what this is really all about? This problem that we experience is not unique to us. It was in Jesus' time as well. It happens right here in this passage. Jesus is teaching the scribes, and the scribe comes up to him, and uh, the scribe is like, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? What's the bottom line? Now, you might think, well, why is he asking that? Well, it could be because the Hebrew law, the Torah, There are 613 commandments, okay? It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you read through them, they are very, very particular. God gave instructions to his people on how they were to live, how they were to worship, how they were to serve the world around them, okay? 613 of them. Now, imagine having to serve God with 613 laws. And if you break any of them, there's like sacrifices. And sometimes you, you have to go into like a, a, a spiritual timeout because like if you're unclean, you have to go outside of the temple or the area for like seven days and hang out and then come back and then you can get cleaned and offer your sacrifice. 613, okay? So the scribes are like, all right, we have like that much. And actually 613 is the number that was approved by the third century. Maybe even more than that. So Jesus, what's the bottom line? And this verse, a lot of people attribute it to Jesus saying this, right? That Jesus sums up all the commandments in these two. But that's incorrect. Because this is actually found in the book of Deuteronomy. It is found within the law. 
Now, think about that for a second, right? A lot of times we think like, oh, Jesus is like this new thing. And somehow the Old Testament and all of the law becomes obsolete. No, no, no. Jesus said that I've come to fulfill it, not to destroy it. You see, they were following all the laws, but they kind of missed it. And even the one that he says is the most important is hidden among that 613, and they still don't get it for centuries and centuries. But Jesus is now saying this is the key. Within the law itself, this is the key, right? And what does he say? He says the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now remember at the last sentence there, there is no other commandment. These two are together, not separate. And we'll talk about why in just a second. But let's talk about this bottom line, the greatest commandment. Okay, first, hear, O Israel, the Lord of God is one, the Lord is one. That's, that's a, a declaration, okay, that God of who he is. And the commandment, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Let's start first with that word love. You shall love the Lord. Out of all the words that Jesus could have picked, that God could have picked, why love? He doesn't say you shall obey the Lord your God. You shall follow the Lord your God. Uh, You shall serve the Lord your God. You shall honor the Lord your God. But he says You shall love the Lord your God. Now, what does that mean? What does love look like? How do you know if you love something? Well, I love Krispy Kreme donuts. Okay? I love, like when you go, I lived in Texas for 10 years before coming here to Boston. And when you go to a Krispy Kreme and there's that magical conveyor belt and you know it's warm and hot and fresh. Like, literally, you pick this up, and you eat it, and it just dissolves, right? It doesn't even exist. And then as you're eating them, you're like, oh, my goodness, I've had eight already, and I'm still eating them. <laughs> I love Krispy Kreme donuts, right? There's a, there's a feeling of joy and, and happiness that I get when I see that conveyor belt. It goes into my mouth. It's delicious, okay? I love good music. I love going to concerts. My wife and I, it's one of the things that we love to do. On our bucket list, okay, um, was we've, we've, we've been big fans of this artist named Lauren Hill. Some of you know, some of you don't. Well, just recently, we got to see Lauren Hill in concert, and it was unbelievable. And, you know, we were in a packed, crowded space, and it was like people were everywhere, and then she was like three hours later to her show, okay? So we're all just waiting there, packed like sardines, but, man, when her and the band came on, and she did all of her music, she had a full band, I mean, back, background vocals, like, 10 instrumentalists, and when they started playing, just you feel that bass in your chest, and then you hear her start, like, talking about the mystery of iniquity and, like, spitting all these rhymes. Man, I love that, right? I love hanging out with you guys. One of my most favorite things is playing I Am Basketball this semester, okay? Um, I've come to the conclusion, though, that after playing with the team that I was on, I'm an old man, Um, and as much as I love basketball, I think I'm just going to have to, like, you know... You know, let y'all, let y'all do it. But I love basketball. I love chess. I love my wife. I love spending time with my wife. See, the thing about love is funny. When you're, when you're dating, like, you know, or when you're together, in the very beginning, uh, you tend to like the big dramatic things, right? 
oh, like, that'd be so cool if we went and did this. And my wife and I, we've been at all these fancy restaurants, right? Like, we blow, like, $500 on a meal, and, like, there's some romantic surprises, like, all this stuff, right? But you know what's funny? This is what's funny. In the beginning, right, you might enjoy that, but after time, what I love the most is when I can go home, and we can eat dinner, and we can just chill on the couch and talk about the day. That space, that level of intimacy for her just to be there, for me to be there, and for us to just connect, look, I've been to Paris I've seen Barcelona. I wouldn't trade that space with my wife for any of those other places. I love those things, okay? Now listen, I'm sure that if we spent all day talking about the things you guys love, you would understand what that feels like. When you love something, you treasure it. When you love something, you value it. When you eat it or you experience it or you're with it, there's joy, there's happiness, there's fulfillment, there's satisfaction. And when you don't have it, there's pain. There's longing. When you don't have it, there's a sense where you say, oh, I miss that or I want that. Or my goodness, I can't wait until I have that again. Now let me ask you a question. Do you love God? When you think about God and you experience your relationship with God, is that what you feel? When we gather to worship, when you gather to pray, when you gather to read, when you gather to sing, do you feel that same sense of joy, that same sense of happiness, that same sense of fulfillment? And when you're away from God's presence, do you feel that sense of longing, that sense of pain? Now, listen, I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone, okay? And I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to do. I don't think he's trying to guilt trip anyone. But what he's saying is that all of it, all the worship, all the sacrifices, the temple, the tabernacle, everything, all the things that we do, it's to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And that's not something we feel all the time when we connect with God. It's easy to serve God. It's easy to obey God. It's easy to fear God even. But to love God, to really love him, not, not that easy. The commandment breaks down, right, with all of your heart. When I think of the word heart, you know, I think about feelings and emotions. Now, I feel like emotions get a bad rep. So many times in the church, I feel like what we do with them is kind of like, well, if, if you believe in the Lord, it's going to be fine, so sorry that you have to, like, mourn the loss of, like, you know, this situation. Or, um, oh, you just had a really, really hard situation. Like, I, today, actually, a friend of mine had a miscarriage. I know some people in the church who would say, well, you know what? The Lord works together all things for the good of those who love Christ. Are you serious? No. God has given her emotions to process that loss. I know some of you struggle with things. You come from hard family homes, or you go through things and you make mistakes, and there's all those feelings of anger, even confusion at God. If you come to God angry, do you think God turns you away somehow? Do you think he says, oh, sorry, you can't come to me with those feelings. You can't come to me with your heart. No, God wants us to love him with those feelings. He wants you to come to him and be sad and to be upset, to be happy, to be joyful, to be fearful, to be angry, because that is what it means to be human. And guess what? He created that in you. Faith should never trump those emotions because faith helps us to navigate those emotions and use them properly. But we should never, ever just say, the Lord's going to take care of it and things are going to be fine. That would, be, that would be not loving God with our heart, I think. And then it says to love the Lord with all your soul. Now, I love this picture and I love this image, right? Because our soul, where did it come from? 
right? When we talk about the word spirit, what does that mean, right? It's ruha in Hebrew. And it basically means breath. It means wind. It means spirit, right? And the word immediately conjures up when Adam and Eve, when mankind, when they were created and God breathed into them the breath of life. And they became a living soul. Now, isn't it crazy that God says, love me with your soul. The thing I gave to you, give back to me. All that we do, all that you have is really all about stewardship. Your gifts, your talents, your abilities, the opportunities, your background, your home, your upbringing, all of that. If we're to give our souls, it's all about stewardship, to give it back to God. We love him with our heart. We love him with our soul. We love him with our mind. I grew up in churches where people didn't like theology. It got such a bad rep. But you know what? Theology, I love Anselm's definition. He says it's faith-seeking understanding. The fact that we are trying to understand God, to put our mind around someone who really can't be fully understood. To love him with our mind means that we have to be faithful in the pursuit of discovering what people have said for the last 2,000 years. When you read Augustine and Calvin and Wesley and Luther and you read Irenaeus, when you read all of these people, they went through the same struggles you did. They were trying to make sense, to understand. It was faith seeking understanding. And so we love God with our mind. We question, we ask, we dialogue. A lot of people say, oh, well, JD, are you saying that we should doubt? Isn't doubt like the opposite of faith? And I think it's not the opposite of faith. Because faith in and of itself says, look, I know this, but I don't fully know it, but I believe it to be true. So what that would mean is that if you said, I know for 100%, that's not faith. That's knowledge. Doubt is very much a part of the journey. If you're not in moments where you have to trust God and where you're like, I feel like I'm about to jump off a cliff and I don't know what I'm going to do, and there's a part of me that I know he's going to show up, but, oh, man, there's a part of me if I'm honest with myself. Uh, It only means to be human. That's loving with your heart. We talked about that. So with your heart, with all your soul, with your mind, and lastly, with all your strength. Why strength lasts? Because it's really, really hard to do this. Sometimes... um, I don't like being a Christian. Can you believe that? I just said it. It's hard. I think there are times when I'm like, I'd much rather be Buddhist. My Buddhist friends are much more at peace with themselves than with everything. That kind of annoys me, you know? But when you're a Christian, man, you have to live with this reality that there's this God who knows you, loves you. And there's this tension where you feel like you got to live up to something, but maybe it's not good enough. And then there's the enemy and he's attacking you. There's all these lies you hear all the time. Sometimes a Christian journey, I feel like, is much harder. When you don't know, you're going into oblivion, but at least you don't know, right? The journey is hard. Strength is needed. One of my favorite images when I think about this is um, from the Lord of the Rings. Galadriel, one of the most awesome characters of all time, uh, talks about the long defeat. And what that means is she's talking about, like, the defeat of evil, and she says that it's a long defeat because good has won, but it takes time for that to fully become actualized or realized. And look, Jesus, when he died and resurrected from the cross, we're about to go into Holy Week, where when we celebrate Easter, when we acknowledge that, defeat. But you know, that defeat feels long sometimes. We're still waiting for hope. 
We're still waiting for all things to be restored. For some of us in our own individual lives, for that to be restored. We're still waiting for E and C to be restored. We're still waiting for God to come and fix things. It's a long defeat, and that's why you need strength. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second thing, which is connected, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, why is that important? Because at the end of the day, it could be like, oh, this is so easy, you know? I, I love how some people these days, they're like, I want to be a spiritual person, and I want to be connected to God, but I don't want to be connected to anyone else. I just, it's just me and the Lord. It's just me and God. We're good, you know? I feel like I'm in my word, and, you know, everyone else is like, whatever. That's not how this works, sadly. Sorry. Um, Because the first commandment, when you love God, when you love him that way, you love the things that he loves. And what you realize is he loves people. So we talk about loving your neighbor a lot. I don't need to go into that. We've, We've talked about that a lot. But isn't it interesting that the second part is something we rarely mention? You love your neighbor as yourself. Or if you look at the grammar, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Maybe the reason why we struggle with loving our neighbors is because we don't love ourselves very much. You know, I meet with all of you, not all of you, some of you, many of you. In my office, we talk about things. I hear about things. Um, catch glimpses on Facebook. Chaplains do that, you know. We watch Facebook and read the signs that come through us through Facebook and pray. Um, yeah, that was supposed to be funny, but no one laughed. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we really have a hard time loving ourselves. Some of you um, come from really hard backgrounds, and you've heard these lies that say that you're not worthy of love or you're not worthy of belonging. You struggle with that. Some of us, um, you know, we do things. And we can't get over the guilt of what we've done. And because of that, we think, oh, I just can't forgive myself. I could go on and on and on about the ways that we struggle. The ways that we struggle with loving ourselves. You guys know that. What I want to talk about, though, is what do you do? What do you do when you can't love yourself and therefore can't love your neighbor? What's the solution to that? I want to propose to you that the solution is you have to receive love. You have to hear truth that counteracts those lies. You have to remember that you are loved regardless of what you've done, what's been done to you. Past, present, and future, you are loved. At the end of this passage, there's this really interesting moment where Jesus, you know, as he's having this conversation with this scribe, the scribe says to him, right, if you hear the other versions of this passage, there is no reply. People usually walk away because they're like, whoa, Jesus blew my mind. But the reply is, you're right, teacher. And he acknowledges, this scribe acknowledges what Jesus is saying. It's an interesting moment because what Jesus says to him is he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He says the exact same thing, but Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not quite there. See, the reason why I think that he wasn't quite there was because this kind of love, this kind of devotion, you can't muster it up on your own. Jesus was going to the cross very soon after this. 
Mark is only 16 chapters, so very soon after in this timeline narrative, Jesus gives his life. This perfect man, perfect God comes and takes your place, my place, his place, and he says, you know what? You can't muster up that love. You could try to follow all of those laws, but you won't get it. You can't muster it up because it has to be given to you first. And so he offers himself and he gives that love. And it's an unbelievable thing. It's so scandalous that God himself would come and die just to say that you're loved. And this is it, right? This is the bottom line. For those of you who are Christian and for those of you who are not Christian, if you're curious, what is the Bible all about? What is 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, all of those thousands of verses, what is it that God loves you? And he is willing to go to extreme lengths to let you know that. Even if it means sending his own son to die a brutal death that he did not deserve. Now look, it's not guilt that draws you to that. What draws you to that is because there's a longing in each of us where we want to be loved. All right, if you want to get spiritual, Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in each of our hearts. So we cannot know. I've spoken up here many, many times, but what I want to tell you, and if you remember anything I ever say, you're loved. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't even matter how you feel about God. You are loved. This morning, I want to close with a kind of a moment of remembrance, I guess, a moment of remembering. And what we're going to do is this. The team and Crystal, they're going to lead us in one song. And during the song, I want you to remember that you're loved. And this is how I want you to do it. All across these little areas are these Sharpies, okay? What you're going to do is you're going to come up, take a Sharpie, and I don't know, draw a heart, write a word, draw a verse, draw a phrase, whatever makes you happy, right? Just write it on your hand. I wrote loved, just like that. You know, when we talk about confession and repentance, a lot of times it's associated with like negativity and guilt. But repentance really just means to turn around. In the Christian journey, when we turn We don't just turn away from things, but we're actually turning to God. I mean, think about it. The prodigal son, right? When he's running and when he realizes and he's going home, he goes, what, into into a place where there's nothing? No, he goes into the embrace of his father. There's great love that he experiences, right? When we confess or when we experience confession, we say things like, Lord, forgive me. But we don't realize that the other truth of that is, yes, I forgive you. You're free. And now we can confess that we are free. So confession isn't just negative, but it's also positive. And when you come, if you feel so led, because all I want you to do is remember that you're loved. I just want you to receive love today. That's it. Come, write it on your hand, say a prayer, go back to your seat, sing the song. The thing with this is that as you shower, hopefully you shower, but as you do stuff, it's going to start going away. Every time you see it, I want you to remember you're loved. As it starts going away, I want you to remember that this one moment is just a moment. We need reminders over and over again. And God says, when you pray and when you read and when you worship in chapel and when you meet, I'm there to just let you know that you're loved. That's it. That's the bottom line. So as they lead us in worship, stand and sing and feel free to come.
and receive God's love for you. For some of you, um, this may have been the very first time where you've received the love of God into your heart. Maybe you're still there, kind of like, oh, I want to jump in, but I don't know. Maybe he's not the Lord of your life. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And so whether it's this time or after, when I hang around here, um, we've got some other people here who could stay and pray for others. If you want to make that decision, look, I'd love to help you walk through that. For others, um, as you walk away with this, just remember that you're loved. And that reminder is something that has to be constant. So may God shower you with that. And so receive this blessing as I close us in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are and for the ways that you love us. I thank you, Lord, for every soul here. God, will you let them know in your own way, in your own time, just how deeply they are loved by you. I'm amazed, Lord, how much you love this school. Every faculty member, every administration, every staff, every student, every prospective student, parent, God, it's amazing the people you draw here. May this be a place where we experience your love. May it be a place, dear God, where that is abundant and, 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 and overflowing. And as we go from this place, may we share that love with others. Be glorified and be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You could come up for prayer. You can hang out. But you are dismissed.